Welcome back to the Logos of Experience and Truth podcast, where I unlock the mysteries of the beatific vision of God for you, the spiritual pilgrim treading upon the narrow path. This is the second episode in a small series where I'm going to be speaking about and covering what is known as creative thought, or more popularly known as the Law of Attraction or shown in books and movies like The Secret. I ended the first episode of this mini-series talking about what it is in general and whether it is lawful or not, along with the fact that I interpret this as being the actual forbidden fruit, that which was done, quote-unquote, in the Garden of Eden, even if we just imagine it as some hypothetical state of mind that humans were in at some point. But it was this that caused the downfall of humanity because it was this that separated man from God. When man began to think of his own mind as the only God. And it's difficult because The teachings themselves that exist in their form today work. Now, whether you do this accidentally through synchronicity and it works, or you have read these books and have put some of their teachings into practice and it has worked, they work. They do. Not saying that they don't. But whether you should or should not, and why you maybe should or should not is what I am trying to address here. I mentioned in a previous podcast that when I began to break away from the New Age type of teachings, my main focus was on reading the source texts instead of the interpretations of the interpretations of interpretations of the source texts. I no longer wanted to simply take somebody's word for it in what I was reading from a more modern voice, I wanted to read the actual texts. So I'm bringing this up because the modern interpretation of this, the creative thought or the use of creative thought or the method by which to use creative thought is both a modern and an old thing. I took brief notes. I'm still trying to be more freestylish on these instead of having a gigantic script like some of my earlier episodes were. So I am trying to dig into my mind as I'm speaking about these things. But even though, again, my interpretation of what the forbidden fruit is, is my own based on my own personal experience. The modern interpretation of this creative thought is grown more and more with an increasing modern and liberal mindset and theology. But when you look at it with the microscope, many things about it just start to unravel. As I said, if you see any of these YouTube videos where they say that the mind is God and that that's the secret, Well, saying that the mind is God, again, if you just take that and say, oh, that is the truth, now I can start really, really applying this, I'm a God, and that's the real secret of spirituality. If you don't pause and then think 
more deeply about that. And if you don't just utterly reject the teachings of Christianity, Judaism, even Islam, you can reference some of the stuff that Islam is even talking about with their complete and utter destruction of idol worship. Again, it's what is actual idol worship, and that is what it begins to narrow down into. This is what true idol worship is. When human beings go into their mind and realize that they have the power to think and imagine something to be, and it is without any other action, that must be the power of God. Thus, we human beings must be gods. We must be God. That's what it's really referring to. And yet, that would be what the Bible is also <laughs> referring to as idol worship. The only text in there that I could really point to that speaks of what the attempt of this brings in judgment. When you die or have the near-death experience the way that I did and the way that many others did, and you are shown the life review, and you have no control over it, and it absolutely obliterates your mind. This is when you know, my mind is not God. Again, I can't impress that in any other way if you've never had that experience. But when that occurs to you, you very well know, in this way, in this manner, I am not the supreme God. There is a connection. But what that connection is, especially when you've had that experience, if you haven't learned anything yet, you don't really know. It takes time to learn. That's why it took me so long to learn because I continued to ask that question. What occurred there? What am I in relation to it? And then obviously that's as I'm living and coming across all these other nice juicy things like the law of attraction, the secret. How do I bring these things into reality, et cetera, et cetera? So the primary texts that I'm speaking of, because they are considered esoteric, because they are considered heresy, they were forbidden. Well, heresy doesn't actually mean forbidden. It just means not orthodox. I'm thinking of the Gnostic texts, the Gnostic Christian texts, and any of the teachings that are attributed to the name of Hermes. I'm only mentioning these ones in particular because many of the modern New Age type of teachings claim to derive their ideas from these or the Zohar or Kabbalistic type of texts in their interpretation of especially this, law of attraction, creative thought, mental projection and creation in that manner. But I've read the Gnostic text many times. I've read the works of Hermes even more so than that. And pretty much the entirety of the texts, the corpus of texts, if we put them as a whole, and I don't think I'm generalizing, and I don't think anybody that has read them would say that I'm generalizing, but every single one of them, in some way, speak about 
almost in the exact same way that Buddhism speaks of the path in life is to be released from suffering. Obviously, in the Gnostic idea, it's through Gnosis, some type of deep religious spiritual knowledge that is gained or given to you or blessed upon you. Once you get to the Christian side, it's Jesus that reveals it to you, which is why he's the Messiah for them as well. But it is release. And the release, yes, comes from seeing that that spark of the divine exists in you, that you are part of, in some way, an aspect of, a quality of this divine that exists. It's kind of the way, in as basic a summary as I can give of both of the corpus of texts from Gnostic and Hermetic traditions. Neither of them deal with accumulation. Neither of them deal with gaining wealth. In fact, that is the complete antithesis to the Gnostic texts. That is one of the reasons why the church said that the Gnostic texts were heretical, because they claimed that the world in all of physical creation was bad and from this evil God and thus had to be utterly rejected. And obviously the counter to that in the Christian as well as the Jewish tradition is that God said the world is good. And so it can't be utterly denied in the way that the Gnostics were. The Hermetic texts aren't as precise with that notion as the Gnostics, but that sentiment is still there of freeing yourself from ignorance, which was equivalent to suffering in the Hermetic text. Maybe I have that portion of it incorrect, but that was what I got from the works of Hermes. The other tradition that I'm, the other two traditions I'm aware of would be the Kabbalists as well as the Masons. Now, there's lots of fact from fiction when it comes to the Kabbalists. Now, personally, I haven't read much of the Kabbalistic works. I don't read Hebrew, so I haven't been able to get to the source material of the Zohar, but I'm at least aware of the historical notions of it, right? I think it was like 12th or 13th century. This work just kind of came out of the blue. And in the work, it says that the work comes all the way from Abraham. And I think in even one sense, it even says secret teachings, even from Adam. So if we take that at its face value and just say, all right, let's just go with what they've said and believe that. Well, they speak about the name of God, the Tetragrammatron, as wielding, giving, conferring the power of creation to those that know the correct way of saying the name and that the correct way of saying the name has been lost. So even if we assume Adam, maybe Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Elijah, if we just say that each of the patriarchs and the prophets of the Old Testament had this power of creative thought, that would be like, what, 20, 30, 40, 50? Let's just say 100. (laughs) Just say 100 people that had this through the Jewish, Hebrew, ancient Canaanite, and however far back you want to go, tradition, if this was secret and if we're taking it entirely on 
the word of the writer of the Zohar and the Kabbalistic materials of the 12th, 13th century. I don't know, I can't, I'm drawing a blank on the exact century they came out. Then if we go to the Masonic idea, again, I'm no Mason. I've read lots of the Manly P. Hall stuff. I've read a couple other things, just trying to get an idea of the Masons. And in their idea of the myth of Hiram Abif, it's kind of the same as the Gnostic idea. There's this spiritual thing inside of you that you have to dig up and find, right? If we're looking at their goal is to find Hiram Abif, right? It's this physical myth, but you're really supposed to do, again, the micro and macrocosm idea into yourself that you're trying to find this within you and that in finding within you, it confers the word or the name or the lost key of masonry and that this confers upon you the power of the great architect of the universe and gives you the power of creation. If in the Masonic tradition, even they say that they lost the power of this, that maybe in this hypothetical mythological idea of Hiram Abif, at some point, somebody in the original Masonic tradition had this, and that's how it's been passed down and handed down, yet they say that they don't have it, unless that's just a way of pushing any practitioner to try to find it within themselves. And then again, that just is a credit to the mythology that they're trying to utilize to push you to get into your mind, to find this hidden spiritual thing. So what I mean by this is, even in that, and I say even in that, quote-unquote, even in that, because from a Christian, especially a Catholic background like my own, the Masons are like the boogeymen, right? They've been, <laughs> they've been shown to be the boogeymen, and yet it's still not the equivalent to what some of these more New Age texts claim, that having the law of attraction or utilizing it or understanding it can bring you riches beyond belief. So that's an interesting point there because that is where I will end this one by linking that back to the idol worship, saying that your mind is God, calling your mind is God, and believing that it was being gifted that in the garden, this hypothetical myth point that gave us consciousness. Now, I counter that in my book and say that's not true because prior to that, Adam and Eve had named all the animals. So they already had consciousness. This was a consciousness of something else. This was a consciousness of human beings perceiving in their own mind, in the power of their own mind, that that meant that they were the gods. And Remember, like I said, if you choose to forget all of the theology because you found the secret, that is your choice. But remember, because again, as I said, the thing about these teachings is they do work. They do. And I'll dive into it a little bit more later of when it happens spontaneously, meaning gift from God or miracle versus occurring because you sat there and meditated on it for an entire day. That's you trying to have the power of God. 
and utilize it for your benefit. Remember, which being are we taught in theology, Christian theology in particular, that wanted to call himself God, have the power of God, and has it over the material world? That's right. The devil. So again, the forbidden fruit is calling mind, your mind, God, and that it is God alone, as in the Gnostic teaching of Yaldabaoth and the ignorance of that, and thus utilizing this for creative thought purposes to create wealth in particular in today's day and age, is the forbidden fruit. And I will leave you with that. Meditate if I am making sense. I'm not saying it doesn't work. That's the point is that it does. But there is something to this that can tear your mind apart. In the book of Job, when God finally appears and chastises Job and goes down his litany of, were you there when this happened? Were you there when this happened? How about when this happened? You're questioning me about this? Were you here when this happened? That is an ancient manner of a writer that had this experience trying to convey what it is when you really break through the ego and experience the judgment of God. That was the judgment of God in that book. And the writer was trying to convey that experience of what happens and how absolutely pitifully weak our human mind actually is (laughs) compared to the Godhead. So I will leave you with that. Until next time.